Hey, Prime members, did you know that you could be listening to this show ad-free on Amazon Music? With Amazon Music, you get access to the most ad-free top podcasts. Avoid the ads and start listening today. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Hello and welcome to Free Expression with me, Jerry Baker, from the Wall Street Journal editorial page. I'm delighted you're joining us this week. If you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. This week, could the U.S. economy pull off that rare feat, a soft landing in 2023? For some time now, there's been a widespread expectation that we're headed for a recession this year. Starting from behind in its battle against inflation, the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates aggressively and is promising more to come in order to get the rate of price increases down to a moderate and sustainable level. Economists and financial market indicators, along with pretty much most of historical experience, have been telling us that it's almost impossible to do this from the current high rate of inflation that we've had in the last year without tipping the economy into recession. The yield curve, differential between interest rates on longer-term and short-term government debt, for example, has been negative for some time. That's been a pretty accurate indicator of recession for decades. Central banks, along with economists and the rest of us, have long held out the hope that by calibrating interest rate increases just right, they can help the economy avoid a recession. In this so-called soft landing scenario, they bring inflation down smoothly without precipitating a slump. But it's hardly ever worked in practice. Usually the Fed crashes the economy into the runway, unemployment spikes and output falls. Now, there may be no more dangerous forward statement in economics than this time is different. But as 2023 has gotten underway, markets seem to believe that perhaps we might just be able to buck history. With evidence from last week's jobs numbers that wage growth may be cooling sharply, even as output and demand in the economy continue to grow, optimism is rising that underlying inflation pressures may be easing without provoking an accompanying recession. So what are the chances? Well, I'm joined this week to talk about all this by Jason Furman, professor of economics at Harvard and a leading commentator on macroeconomics and economic policy. Professor Furman was one of a handful of economists who warned that the surge in inflation that began two years ago was not transitory, in the infamous phrase, and that more needed to be done and sooner by the Fed. A Democrat who served as chair of President Barack Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, he was a rare voice in his own party warning that the big COVID stimulus passed by a Democratic Congress and signed by President Biden in 2021 risked adding fuel to the inflation fires. So with that kind of track record, I can't think of anyone better to tell us what we can expect in 2023. And Professor Berman joins me now. Jason Furman, thanks very much for joining Free Expression. Thanks for having me. Before we get into the detail about how and if the economy may avoid a recession and have a soft landing, can you give us a bit of the history here? Because as I hinted at in my introduction, the hunt for a soft landing, the attempt to bring inflation down from an unacceptably high level without crashing the economy into a recession, it's a sort of holy grail of economic policy. But I think I'm right in saying it's, it's not been achieved very often. Can you give us the historical background here and say over the last 50 or 60 years, how many times when the Fed has pushed up interest rates aggressively to reduce inflation, has it managed to get inflation down without precipitating a recession? Yeah. So the one case that you could point to, to maybe give you a little bit of optimism, although I think it's different from the one we're going through now, is in the wake of World War II, there was a huge bout of inflation that came down, went away, and that happened without sharp recession. Other than that, there are some other things people point to and claim were soft landings, but almost all of them were like an inflation rate was in the mid 90s was 
2.7. They were largely preventing rises in inflation rather than the large reduction in inflation that the Fed is trying to engineer right now. So how do you rate the chances this time around? Look, if you asked me the question of could there be a soft landing? Yes. Any question that begins with could about A's economy, which is just so unpredictable, is going to get the answer yes. If you asked me for the probability that this year we're going to keep the unemployment rate below four and a half percent and end the year with an inflation rate below three percent, a core inflation rate below three percent, I would say that's about a one in six chance. Don't think it's that likely. It is possible, but it's it's not at all my base case. Yeah, thanks for laying out those numbers there, because we should define our terms by when we talk about a recession. Of course, 2022 was curious because we had two quarters of negative growth at the start of the year, and then the third quarter was pretty strong. We don't have the fourth quarter numbers yet, but we think it was probably pretty robust. There's a lot of theological debate about what constitutes a recession. I think, although it's true that by sort of what have been the so-called technical definition that people have used over the last 40 or 50 years, those first two quarters of negative growth last year represent a recession. We did have this unusual situation with unemployment remaining low throughout the year, actually declining throughout the year. We had jobs grow strong. And I think it's fair to say that, that most people wouldn't really characterize a recession as being a time when jobs growth is robust when the unemployment rate falls actually to like a 50-year low. So what should we think of if we're talking about you know, the risk of a recession? We are talking about, as you say, so unemployment is currently about 3.5%. That would be like at least a one percentage point increase in unemployment, a slowing or even a probably a turn to negative job growth. Give us a sense of what, if we are going to have a recession, what it would constitute. Historically, we've never seen the unemployment rate go up by half a point without it going up by much more than that and plunging us into a recession. So the Fed sees the long-run unemployment rate as 4%. So it went from 3.5 to 4 in a couple months. Probably that means you should expect to continue on to 4, 5, 5, et cetera. A recession would probably be an unemployment rate in the fives. It would be GDP growth that was negative for a quarter or two. I don't think you can have a terminological debate about what happened in 2022, but I think as you just said, it really wasn't sort of what most people would think of as a recession. But continuing to add 150,000 jobs a month, month after month after month, that's really hard to picture. If that goes down to 100,000, that's fine. If it goes negative, that's what you're talking about, you know, a real genuine recession. You just said at the start, you think there's about a one-sixth chance that we can avoid what we've, I think, now sort of characterized as a recession. So there's a five-sixth chance by the end of 2023 that we'll have had a recession. What's your sense at this point, given the probability of that, of how severe a recession this will be? And what would be the factors that would determine how severe it would be? Oh, and just to be clear, Jerry, I think there's a much higher chance of avoiding a recession. I just think in most of the scenarios where you avoid a recession, we also have inflation above 3%. So the soft landing is both no recession and inflation comes down. Um, I think we very well may not have a recession, but if we don't, then I think probably that means we're going to end the year with an awful lot of inflation. You know, for me, the, the key to all of this is the labor market and wage growth. And if wages continue growing at ECI was growing, you know, no more than 3% a year, That's the employment cost index, a very precise measure of wages. That was growing at no more than 3% a year prior to the recession. Now it's growing at 5.5% a year. It is just really, really hard to bring inflation down when you have numbers like that. And it's hard to see how those numbers come down the wage numbers without the labor market weakening. Again, as I said at the beginning, and again, the market, certainly the first week or so of the new year, seemed to have been a little bit lifted by 
hopes of or some you know tentative suggestion that maybe that these cost pressures are declining a little bit faster than was thought. We had the employment report last week, which did show a pretty significant slowing in the rate of wage increases. Tell us about how you see that. I know those numbers have been extremely volatile and you've commented on this in the last week or so, but give us a sense of what you think, first of all, of what's happening to those wage numbers and why and how they're so important in terms of determining what may happen to overall inflation. Yeah. So you look at what people buy. Some of the stuff they buy is goods. Those are made all around the world. Their prices don't depend that much on how tight labor markets are in the United States. They depend on things like how many microchips there are, how much oil the Chinese are buying. Then there's housing that has its own dynamic. But then the biggest item is services other than housing. And the main way that we make services is by paying people to make services. And so price growth for services outside of housing is roughly the same as wage growth. Every month when the employment report comes out, the headlines are always about the number of jobs and maybe the unemployment rate. I always turn first to the average hourly earnings number. That to me is the most important thing um, in the release. And the last two months, I just had this head spinning experience. When the numbers came out in early December, they were revised up by almost as much as they'd ever been revised up. And so I thought, wow, these are growing really fast. Then when the numbers came out in January, it was the largest downward revision that there's ever been to the numbers. And so they're measuring them approximately. They only get some businesses that respond to their surveys. They don't know the exact number, but the latest numbers looks pretty good in terms of the possibility for inflation. Now, not all the way there yet, by the way, but just getting there. So when you say very good, I mean, what sort of numbers? Again, we should put some numbers in here. I should say we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. We're going to have the CPI, the Consumer Price Index numbers are going to be released tomorrow. They're obviously important, especially the core CPI, which excludes food and energy prices. Give us the recent numbers we're looking at headline inflation rate around seven, core inflation below that. Expectations are that, again, partly because of the Fed's tightening, partly because of supply chain pressures easing, those numbers are very likely to come down, right? How much and over what sort of time frame? What's your sort of central expectation? So in terms of numbers, I like to look at everything I can. I look at every which angle I can. But if I could only look at one thing, I'd look at three-month moving averages. That gives you the latest data but smooths out some of the volatility. Um, If you look at inflation, I prefer to look at the median um, PCE inflation rate. Over the last three months, that was 4.1%. Jason, just explain what that, in very brief layman's terms, what the median is. Yeah, thank you. Good question, of course. That just takes out every single one of the things that has freakishly high growth and every single one of the things that has freakishly low growth. It's literally the median. It's the thing in the middle. It's the 50th percentile. The 50th percentile of growth. So it's not distorted by large changes. So I like that. That's 4.1 over the last three months. You can look at some other measures of so-called super core inflation or underlying inflation, and they range from basically three to four percent over the last three months. And that's down from, you know, six percent earlier in the year. My fear and part of why I'm not that optimistic about a soft landing is I always thought the first part of disinflation was going to be easier. Um, You're moving towards where inflation expectations are. It just is relatively cheap and easy. But the last point or two of inflation, I think is very, very costly to get out of the system. And even with wages growing more slowly, I think it was 3.8% annual rate over the last three months. That's still consistent with about a 3% 
inflation rate, not the 2% the Fed would like to see. And critically, and that last point is critical, that 3% inflation, better though it would be than it was a year ago and certainly through most of last year, is still too high, is it, for the Fed? I mean, the Fed does seem to have been very, very, I mean, having been late to the game, certainly recently has been very robust in saying we're, we're going to push up rates. Fed's forecasts at the last meeting suggested that they were going to push rates up probably to at least 5%. Markets are then expecting quick cuts in interest rates. The Fed has been adamant that no, 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 it's going to keep its foot on the brake for longer than markets. What will determine, do you think? So supposing we do get down to 3% inflation, put that key number you talk about, the PCE median number, and the economy is weakening, the Fed's going to be faced with a pretty difficult choice, isn't it, between saying, well, look, no, 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 we've got to keep pressing down. We've got to get down to 2%. That's our target. But, but, you know, we may now be really at risk of crashing the economy. How's that going to play out, do you think, in the Fed's uh, debates? I don't know. Three and a half or 4% inflation, I am confident that the Fed would do everything it can to bring that down. I think Jay Powell got off to a slow start, but ended up in the right place around the middle of last year. And that is a single mandate Fed. And that mandate is inflation. Even if we see unemployment start to rise, if inflation is not down, I don't think he's going to let up. And that's the one place where the market doesn't fully believe him. I think it should believe him um, a little bit more. Now, if inflation got to 2.9, I think there's actually a decent argument for 3% as a target instead of 2%. So I personally wouldn't mind that. And the Fed, my guess is they don't really mind 2.9. But the question is, can you shift in a credible way to a higher inflation target, I'm not sure. I think at that point, they might just shift to a wait and see, we hope it goes away. But anything above three, they'll be actively trying to extinguish it. So that means, as it stands, you just said earlier on that, that getting that rate of inflation down that last, you know, whether we're, again, whether we're talking about four down to three or three and a half down to two and a half or three down to two, that's the kind of, that's the hardest mile, as it were, the, the, you know, the, the last mile in going there. Does that mean the Fed would then have to push rates maybe even higher than the five or so that for the Fed funds rate the Fed seems to be currently expecting? Would it have to go further or would it have to keep the pressure on for longer? How would that play out in terms of policy if it is so hard to get that additional extra downward pressure on that last leg of inflation? I think that a 5 to 5.25 Fed funds rate, which is what they have penciled into the summary of economic projections, probably should be sufficient. But I say probably. Could a Fed funds rate of above 6 be needed? Absolutely. I mean, markets at the beginning of last year thought there was a 1% chance the Fed funds rate would be above 4 at the end of the year. And sure enough, it was. So I do think markets need to be prepared that we could easily have six or higher. The second thing is markets should be prepared that this may not be a once and done. I sometimes hear people say, oh, you know, maybe there'll be a recession, but then inflation will be two and it'll be over. We could have a recession that brings inflation down to three. Coming out of that recession, inflation could start drifting up to three and a half percent. There could be another hiking cycle. I don't think it'll be nearly as bad as what Arthur Burns did, because I think the Fed has learned that lesson. But could we have a more moderate version of that type of, you think you've licked inflation, you cut rates, you bring the inflation back, you have to raise rates again? I think this could take more than one cycle to get rid of. We've got to take a quick break there, but when we come back, I'll have more with Jason Furman, Professor of Economics at Harvard, and we'll be talking about the longer-term picture for inflation. Are we entering a period of structural inflation for the global economy? Stay with us. 
Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. You're listening to Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Don't forget, you can listen to the latest episode anytime on your smart speaker. Just say, play the Opinion Free Expression podcast. Now, back to Jerry Baker. I'm back with Jason Furman, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, professor of economics at Harvard, and we're talking about the inflation outlook. You mentioned just how, how sort of badly awry market expectations have been, and of course, very badly awry. Federal Reserve's expectations were even, you know, we, you can go back and trace their charts over the last 18 months, and they've underestimated how bad inflation would be pretty well every, every meeting for the last 18 months. Why do you think that is, Jason? I mean, what's gone so badly wrong in the forecast of inflation over the last two years from that whole idea that it was going to be transitory to, again, just consistently, both private and public sector economists consistently understating it? And I should say, again, as I said at the beginning, you know, you were one who was warning all along that inflation was going to turn out higher than people were expecting. What went wrong? Yeah, that's kind of you to note. And by the way, that markets got it wrong, too. Right. So I think it was two things. One is there were a set of statistical models. In the Fed's case, they have a quite elaborate model called FERBIS, Federal Reserve Bank US. And those models were basically designed to predict that next year inflation will be 2%. No matter what you put into them, the output would be something like a forecast of 2% inflation. Those models worked really well in the data for the last couple decades because our experience was inflation always went back to 2%. What they didn't appreciate was just how huge the structural impact. You do a fiscal stimulus of 25% of GDP. That's what we did 2020 plus 2021. 25% of GDP fiscal stimulus. You can't just use that normal model for that. So there was sort of a statistical extrapolation rather than going back to first principles economically and say, people have a lot of money. What are they going to do with that money, especially when you can't make everything they need? Um, the second is I think there was always a bit of wishful thinking. There was always what I'd call possibilism, not probabilism. Well, it's possible that the multiplier on fiscal stimulus will be low. It's possible the supply chains will come back together. It's possible the labor market will cool on its own. And yeah, all those things are possible. Just none of them were very probable and they didn't turn out to happen. You talked about fiscal policy there and the role it played in contributing to the inflation pressure. What role is fiscal policy playing now? Obviously, those fiscal stimuli passed. We're seeing largely because of that, because of the passage of time, because we passed that all those extraordinary stimuli that were injected into the economy in 2020 and 21. So as a result, we have been seeing a fiscal contraction right now. How is that going to pan out and what role will that might that play in restraining demand and maybe contributing to this deceleration of inflationary pressures? So the first thing to understand is that Fiscal policy, like monetary policy, does have long and variable lags. So the last major set of payments went out in September 2021. That's almost a you know more year and a quarter ago. But people put that money into the bank and they spent it out over time. If you do 25% of GDP in fiscal stimulus and one-tenth of it is still spending out, that's 2.5% of GDP. So I think the fiscal has had this big effect on the economy. And in 2022, we saw that in consumer spending. I mean, the reason we didn't go into a real full-fledged recession in 2022 is that consumers just kept spending throughout the whole year. Why? Because we'd given them a ton of money the year before and the year before that, money that they couldn't really spend at the time, and they had it available later. So fiscal policies continued. Now, at some point, those consumers are running out of money. 
And I don't think consumers can continue to spend roughly two and a half percent above normal when their inflation-adjusted incomes are about 1% below normal. There's just this huge disconnect. And so, you know, will consumers have a wily e. Coyote moment where the fiscal stimulus is so far in the past, um, their consumption will go down? I think that could happen. Um, now, in terms of what Congress is doing, last year they spent a bunch more. They did, you know, the infrastructure, the chips, a year-end spending deal, et cetera. So even though there was some deficit reduction in the Inflation Reduction Act, on balance, there was more deficit increasing. It remains to be seen, of course, what Congress and the president will do this year, and that's going to be a major fight. But overall, I would not expect much hope from fiscal policy and bringing down inflation. It's really uh, mostly about the Fed. And what about the broader economic climate? I mean, again, we've seen an easing of these, you know, kind of what gave this inflation its kind of, I suppose, its initial burst were these extraordinary supply chain disruptions. You know, there's some uncertainty about that. They've eased a lot, obviously, in the last year. And we've seen many of those key uh, prices for resources, for commodities and things like that come down quite sharply in the course of last year. Even energy prices after Russia's invasion of Ukraine spiked, they've come down quite a bit. We're now seeing doubts again about problems with the Chinese economy, with the opening and the huge surge in COVID cases there. What's the broader sort of global picture in terms of inflationary pressure? Is that still relatively benign, do you think? Or is there a risk that that could actually add to inflationary pressures? By the way, I think China is going to go through this COVID experience incredibly quickly and then be back to the type of normality that we've had for a while here in the United States. That is good for supply chains, but it also means they're going to be buying a lot more oil and bad for oil prices. The net of that is probably a bit of additional upward pressure for U.S. inflation, but only a bit. The main sources of inflation I'm worried about in the United States, though, are largely domestically generated. It's the services that are made from labor and whose price roughly grows in line with wage growth. So I think the external inflation, which we had a lot of, especially in the in 2021 and, and to some degree into 2022, that's mostly behind us. Shipping costs look normal slash low. Inventories are pretty healthy. Supply chains around the world, they'll have an interruption in China, but will largely reconstitute it. I think our problems are domestic in terms of inflation. And on that domestic, we've talked a little bit about the labor market, but we've had this remarkable phenomenon of the last couple of years of this great resignation, the shrinking in labor supply, the recovery in labor demand as we came out of the pandemic, and that obviously leading to tremendous labor shortages. I think the latest numbers, I haven't looked at them in detail, I know you sure you have, the, the job openings numbers, the quit rates, all of those kind of things, they still do point to, despite what we just said about encouraging if you can call it encouraging, I suppose, not from the workers' perspective, but from an inflation perspective, encouraging news on a moderation of wage increases, the labor market still does look strained, doesn't it? I mean, there's still huge labor demand out there. Companies are still reporting a hard time finding workers to hire and still relatively constrained supply. I mean, is there any signs of that easing? Very little sign of that easing. The unemployment rate is the lowest in 50 years. You know, it's tied for the lowest, but you got two or three decimal points, see it's the lowest. And then job openings and quits looked like they were falling. There was this argument that you might have an immaculate cooling of labor markets where even without unemployment rising, quits and openings would go down um, and that would cool labor market pressures. That was working out through about August. But since August, quits and openings have basically been the same. In November, the quit rate actually went up. And what quits are is these aren't people giving up. These are people who are going to a different job 
that's probably paying them more than the job they were working in before. So these, to me, are the best measures of labor market tightness, and they are tighter than any month ever prior to the pandemic and only a little bit looser than where they were six months ago. So I don't think we're seeing an immaculate loosening in labor markets. And that's one of the reasons why I'm skeptical of the possibility of a soft landing. So just to summarize on this immediate question, I want to come to a quick couple of questions to conclude about the sort of more structural economic picture. But just on this immediate issue the next year, just to clarify, because I did misrepresent what you said earlier. So you think you know, very small chance of avoiding a soft landing this year. That is exactly as, as you said, relatively low unemployment rate and getting inflation down to sort of the rate the Fed wants. But you did say quite clearly, you think there's a pretty good chance that we avoid a recession, but that means we continue. So in your view, what's the likeliest outcome in a year's time? We have avoided a recession, but we still have quite elevated inflation. Is that the kind of most likely outcome that you think we have in the course of the next year? Yes. With the caveat, anything could happen. My modal outcome, the most likely outcome is what I'd call continued overheating. The unemployment rate never rises above four and a half percent. The inflation rate on a sustained basis never falls below three percent. And so we're still grappling with this problem at the end of the year. Now we could have a soft landing. We could have a hard landing where you have a recession and it solves the problem. You could also have something like stagflation where you have a recession and we continue to have inflation. So there's a bunch of different scenarios. But yeah, I do think the most probable is continued overheating. And that central, that sort of modal forecast, as you said, that central estimate would suggest, wouldn't it, that actually the Fed's going to push interest rates probably even higher than the five little bit over five that it expects in the course of the year. Because if we haven't had a recession and therefore the Fed hasn't pushed us into recession, but we're still dealing with an unacceptably high inflation rate, surely they'll want to bear down. Or will they take the view that, well, you know, lags and you know monetary policy works with lags, so we'll get to five and we'll see how it goes nine months time. Or do you think rates are going to go even higher? My mode would have rates above where the Fed is projecting. So above the five to 5.25. But I don't think the market forecasts are way off because in a recession, you know, they could easily cut rates by 200 basis points. So if you sort of average across the scenarios, when I look at forward rates, I look at them as reflecting, you know, a non-trivial chance of a recession, which I agree, and potentially a decent sized rate cut in that scenario. But yes, if we don't have a recession, we're going to have rates of 5.5 five or higher. Finally, just to say, I want to just want to get your thoughts on the broader sort of macro, the sort of structural climate we're in. Again, we've been very focused, obviously, on the, these immediate uh, dislocations for the economy coming out of the pandemic, the dramatic disruption in supply chains, the immediate fall out, what we saw with the pandemic. Then, as demand recovered, this inflation that picked up, which you know, again in danger of becoming embedded. So we've seen all that as a kind of a you know as a response to the events over the last few years, obviously exacerbated to some extent by the invasion of Ukraine. Is this also happening at a time, as some economists have argued, you know, we've had this extraordinary period of low interest rates, of low inflation going back now for at least 20 years, you know, back to the 1990s. We've seen low inflation for all kinds of reasons, globalization, global supply chains, maybe demographics played a role, various other things. There are a lot of economists who now believe that we've come to the end of that. We may not be into absolute deglobalization, but there are signs that there is a lot of nearshoring and reshoring and friendshoring going on with companies. So those supply chains are not just being disrupted in the short term, but those are becoming kind of the whole benefits that we had from global supply chains may be going away. We are seeing big demographic changes that may be contributing to inflation. We are seeing things like the shift to a greener economy, green energy resources, which whatever one thinks about the policy in the long term, may be having short-term, significant short-term effects on inflation. Are we essentially now in a period of structural increasing inflation pressures compared to where we've been over the last 20 years or so. So I am skeptical that there's 
any structural explanations of inflation. I think inflation is a monetary phenomenon. It's something that the central banks can really influence. And whether you have high or low productivity growth or globalization, you can have high inflation if you mismanage things. You know, Turkey is a very globalized country. They have very high inflation rate, or you can have low inflation. I think everything you talked about, though, I agree with and think is really important. I just think it'll show up in the real economy, in real productivity growth, in real GDP growth, in what our potential growth rate is. And yeah, I think you you listed a lot of good reasons, especially around globalization, supply chains and the like, to be worried about the future of productivity growth and so the future of our potential economic growth. But the extent to which that comes through in inflation is, is that's a policy issue. This is a sort of paraphrase. Milton Friedman, if policymakers choose to validate those structural changes by essentially accommodating them, then we will get inflation. But if they keep their eye on the inflation ball, then that will show through in real economic measures. Absolutely. And, you know, the accommodation thing, I I could see that happening for a year or two because you don't quite believe it's happening over a five or 10 year horizon. That's where I think it's unlikely that that would be accommodated. It's very likely that all of that would affect the real economy, not the inflation rate. Jason Furman? Professor of Economics at Harvard and former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Great talking. That's it for this week's episode of Free Expression with me, Jerry Bacon, from the Wall Street Journal Opinion Pages. Thanks very much for joining us. Please do join us again next week when we'll have another deep look at some of the big issues driving our world. Thanks very much. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.